Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Dad, I'm broke. Hey, broke. I'm dad. Dad. Okay, don't you have cash saved up from babysitting? No, I spent it. I want my own bank account from S&T Bank. They offer free ATMs, Zelle, and an annual scholarship. Plus, when I open a Smart Start checking account, I get $100. See? I'm responsible. Hey, responsible. I'm Dad. Visit stbank.com slash smart start for details. Bonus available July 1st through September 30th, 2022. Opening deposit balance of $50 required. Member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Crimes are meant to be punishable when an offender is apprehended. In the case where the perpetrator can't be apprehended, what happens? Just like the popular Jack the Ripper mystery that happened a century ago, another bizarre gruesome murder is Texarkana murders. The name was coined by the news media when a series of unsolved murders and violent crimes were committed in Texarkana in the spring of 1946 by an old serial killer known as the Phantom Killer which some call Phantom Slayer. This undivulged killer committed an atrocity within 10 weeks. Open your heart, feel free to imagine the scenario as I unveil this mystery. This is True Kind Never Sleeps Podcast, and I'm Larry Lease. Welcome to the all-new True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast with your host, Larry Lease. Join us every week this season as we dive into the life and crimes of serial killers. From the butcher baker, Robert Hansen, to the Golden State Killer, Joseph D'Angelo. During the spring of 1946, there was a series of murders and gruesome attacks in the tiny town of Texarkana, located on the Texas-Arkansas border. These incidents caused intense fear in the hearts of residents of this town. Separate attacks that took lives and left some severe injuries from fatal assaults. Those who had an encounter with this ordeal were couples or appeared to be a couple. This horrific act sent the town of Texarkana into a serious state of panic throughout the summer. The people couldn't live freely. Residents heavily armed themselves as they didn't know who could be the next victim. Residents locked themselves indoors while police patrolled streets and neighborhoods. Many businesses lost customers at night. Stores sold out of guns, ammunition, locks, and many other protective devices. Most of the town hid in fear inside their houses while some in hotels, sometimes, sometimes even leaving the town. Some youth took matters into their own hands by trying to bait the phantom so they could kill him. Rumors spread within the town including that the killer was caught that a third and even fourth double homicide had been committed. 
at around 11.45 p.m. on Friday, February 22nd, 1946, Jimmy Hollis, who was 25 years of age when the incident occurred, and his girlfriend, Mary Jean Larry, who was age 19, parked on a remote road known as Lover's Lane after they had both seen a movie together. The area was some feet off Robinson Road, 100 yards from the last row of city homes. Ten minutes later, at about 11.55 p.m., a white cloth masked man, which looks like a pillowcase with eyes, appeared at the driver's door side where Hollis sat. The masked man shined a flashlight in the window, which made Hollis so unsure if it was some sort of prank. Hollis replied to him he had the wrong person, to which the man responded, I don't want to kill you, fellow, so do what I say. Upon hearing this, Hollis and Larry knew it was real and not pranks. They both ushered out the driver's side door, and the man ordered Hollis to take off the bridges. He complied, and the man struck him in the head twice with a pistol. Larry thought the assailant wanted to rob them. She tried to show him Hollis's wallet to prove they had no money, after which she was struck with a blunt object. The assailant ordered her to stand. She did stand, and he told her to run. Initially, she tried to flee toward a ditch, but the assailant ordered her to run in a different direction up the road. While she tried to make it to safety, she spotted an older, an old car that was parked off the road but found it to be empty. She was again confronted by the attacker who asked her why she was running. She responded that he had told her to do so. He called her a liar before knocking her down and assaulting her sexually with the barrel of his gun. After the assault, she fled on foot, running about half a mile to a nearby house. She attempted to call for a car passing by the residence, but she was ignoring. She was able to awaken the residents of the house and phone the police. On the other hand, Hollis had regained consciousness and managed to flag down a passerby on Richmond Road. The motorist, who was scared, left Hollis at the scene and drove to a nearby funeral home where he was able to call police. Within 30 minutes, Bowie County Sheriff W.H. Bill Presley and three other officers arrived at the scene of the attack, but the assailant had already left. They found Hollis's pants 100 yards away from the parked car. Larry was hospitalized overnight for a minor head wound. Hollis was hospitalized for several days to recover from multiple skull fractures, which he suffered from. They both survived the attack. The pair gave conflicting reports to law enforcement as to what their attacker looked like. Larry claimed the man was wearing a white bag over his head with cutouts for the eyes and mouth, and that she could see under the mask that he was African-American. Hollis, with a different report, claimed the man was white and around 30 years old, but conceded he could not distinguish his features as he had been blinded with a flashlight. The incident took a different turn at the second occurrence, and this was the first double homicide of the Texarkana murder. On Sunday, March 24, 1946, between 8.30 a.m. and 9 a.m., a passing motorist saw a car parked on the popular Lover's Lane named Rich Road, now South Robinson, close to a night spot called Club Dallas. The motorist at first thought that both were asleep. Richard Griffin, who was 29, and Pauline Moore, age 17, who was his girlfriend for about six weeks into a relationship with him, were found dead in Griffin's 1941 automobile sedan on Sunday, March 24, 1946. Griffin was found between the front seats on his knees, 
with his head resting on his crossed hands and his pockets turned inside out. More was found sprawl face down in the back seat. Based on a blood-soaked patch of earth near the car, suggested to police that they had been killed outside the car and placed back inside. Griffin was shot twice. Both had been shot once in the back of the head and both were fully clothed. A 32 cartridge shell was also found, possibly shot from a Colt pistol, wrapped in a blanket. Local rumor had it that a sexual assault had also occurred, but modern reports refuted this claim. By March 30th, 1946, police posted a $500 reward to gain any new information on the case, which would lead to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible. However, the re- rewards yielded no fruitful clues or suspects, instead produced over 100 false leads. Dean yet continued claiming another set of lives. On a musical evening of Saturday, April 13, 1946, Betty Jo Booker, who was age 15, was playing her alto saxophone in a regular weekly gig with her band at the VFW Club at West 4th and Oak Street. Wow. Around 1.30 a.m. Sunday, April 14th, her friend Paul Martin Martin, who was age 17, arrived to pick her up from the performance. This was the last time the pair was seen alive. Martin's body was found around 6.30 a.m. that morning by Mr. and Mrs. Weaver and their son lying on its left side by the northern edge of North Park Road. Blood was found further down on the other side of the road by a fence. He had been shot four times, once through the nose, and again through the left fourth rib from behind, a third time in the right hand, and finally through the back of the neck. It was a gruesome murder indeed. On the other hand, Booker's body wasn't found until about 11.30 a.m. behind a tree about two miles away from Martin's body. She was found by members of the Boyd family, along with her friend Ted, who had joined the search party. Her body was lying on its back, fully clothed, with the right hand in the pocket of the bottom buttoned overcoat. Booker had been shot twice, once through the chest and once in the face. The weapon used was the same as in the first double homicide, a 32 automatic Colt pistol. Martin's car was found about three miles away from Booker's body and a mile and a half away from Martin's body. It was parked outside Spring Lake Park with the keys still in it. The authorities were not sure who was shot first. Sheriff Pesley and famous Texas Ranger Captain Manuel Gonzalez said that examinations of the bodies indicated that they both had put up a terrific struggle. A friend of Martin's, Tom Alberton, said he did not believe an argument had happened between the victims and that Martin had not had any enemies. It remained unclear what the intention of the perpetrator was, and it continued to cause panic among the residents of this tiny town. Law enforcement was unable to locate Booker's saxophone at the crime scene. The sax was eventually discovered around six months later on October 24th, still in its leather case, near where Booker's body had been found. Just like the latter, a reward exceeding $1,700 was accrued for information leading to the person responsible in these murders. Several rumors began circulating across the area, one suggesting a local minister had turned in his son as a suspect in the murders. On April 18th, the captain stated to the police during a press conference verifying that the murderer had not been caught. 
and that rumors circulating among the public were a hindrance to the investigation and harmful to innocent persons. The Phantom Killer continued to be invisible despite still committing these gruesome atrocities. The last recorded homicide of Texarkana was on Friday, May 3rd, 1946, before the hour of 9 p.m. Virgil Starks, who was age 37, a farmer and welder, was in his modest ranch-style house off Highway 67 East, almost 10 miles northeast of Texarkana. He turned on his weekly radio show, and his wife, Katie, age 36, gave him a heating pad for his sore back. He sat in his armchair in the sitting room, which was just off the kitchen in the bedroom. While Katie was in her bedroom lying on the bed in her nightgown, she heard something from the backyard and asked Virgil to turn down the radio. Seconds later, while Virgil was reading the May 3rd edition of the Texarkana Gazette, two shots were fired into the back of his head from a closed double window three feet away. Katie did not hear the gunshots. Instead, she thought she heard what sounded like the breaking glass. She thought Virgil had dropped something and went to see what happened. As she entered the doorway to the living room, she saw Virgil stand up and then suddenly slump back into his chair. She saw blood and ran to him and lifted his head. When she realized he was dead, she ran to the phone to call the police. While trying to reach the police on the phone, she rang the wall crank phone two times before being shot twice in the face from the same window. And Virgil had been shot. One bullet penetrated her right cheek and exited behind her left ear. The other one in just below her lip, breaking her jaw and splintering out several teeth before lodging under her tongue. She dropped to her knees, but soon managed to get back on her feet. She ran to get a pistol from the living room, but was blinded by her blood. As she couldn't see anything, she heard the killer tearing loose the rusted screen wire on the back porch. She thought she was going to be killed, so she stumbled toward her bedroom near the front of the house to leave a note. Meanwhile, the killer ran to the back of the house and made his way up to the steps and into the side screen porch through the back screen door. She heard the killer coming through the kitchen window, so she turned around and ran through the dining room, through the bedroom, down a hallway, through another bedroom, and then into the living room and out the front door, leaving behind a pool of her blood and teeth throughout the house and across the street. Barefooted and still in her blood-soaked nightgown, she ran across the street to her sister and brother-in-law's house. Because no one was home, she ran 50 yards more to A.V. Prater's house. Prater answered a call for help. She gasped. Virgil's dead and collapsed. Prater shot a rifle in the air to summon another neighbor, Elmer Taylor. Prater called Taylor to bring his car because Starks had been shot. Taylor, along with Mr. and Mrs. Prater and her baby, rode Mr. Starks to... Miller County Health Unit at 503 Walnut Street. Mrs. Starks gave Mrs. Taylor, the driver, one of her teeth with a gold filling. She was in a semi-conscious state, slumping forward on the front seat. Although she lost a considerable amount of blood, she showed no signs of going into shock, and her heart rate remained normal. Local County Sheriff W.E. Davis, who became head of the investigation, questioned Mrs. Starks in the operating room. The news was printed on the front page the next morning, reading, Murder in Rock City again, farmer slain, wife wounded. Four days later, Sheriff Davis talked with the Starks again at the hospital. She discounted a rumor that Virgil had heard a car outside their home several nights in a row and feared being killed. At the end of the spree, three people had been seriously wounded and five had been shot dead. The traumatized survivors gave the police little to go on. Fear paralyzed the town. Women 
of means packed up their clothes and children. Checked into downtown's Hotel Grimm when their husbands were away on business. Others rigged Rube Goldberg's security systems, attaching pots and pans to wire that was strung around their property. Decades later, the mayhem had barely lost its hold on the popular imagination, though imagination is very much the operative word. A handful of books of wildly varying quality have been written about the case. The town that dreaded sundown, a largely fictionalized movie, was released in 1976. Texas Department of Public Safety once called the serial killings the number one unsolved murder case in Texas history. Yet for all the attention given to the case, no one was ever convicted of the crimes. Theories spread widely about the phantom killer's identity, the killer's targeting of couples and lack of other identifiable motives such as burglary or revenge, led many in the area to believe that the killer was some sort of sex maniac. Nearly 400 people were arrested in connection with the killings. The suspects included a University of Arkansas freshman who committed suicide in 1948, an escaped German POW, an L.A. resident who believed he may have committed the crimes while in a coma. Many people believe that a local man named Swinney, arrested in 1947 for auto theft, was the phantom. His wife confessed to the as much at the time, but by law, she could not testify against her husband. She later uh, retracted her confession. Swinney remained in prison as a habitual offender until 1973 and died in 1994 without even implicating himself in the murders. A 1948 cold case involving the disappearance of 21-year-old Virginia Carpenter from Texas County is thought, to be thought by some to have been the work of the Phantom Killer. Though Swinney was already in prison by that time. And in 1999 and 2000, an anonymous woman contacted surviving family members of the phantom victims to apologize for what her father had done. But Swinney never had a daughter. Regardless of the killer's true identity, the town he traumatized has never been the same since the spring of 1946. Yet while other towns may have tried to forget such a gruesome legacy, Texarkana embraced it. On the town that dreaded sundown was filmed there in 1976, locals were cast as extra. Every year around Halloween, the movie is screened at Spring Lake Park, near one where one of the murders took place. The Texarkana murders remain unsolved to this day. Whoever hid behind that white mask, the chances are that after almost 70 years, he no longer lurks on the streets of Texarkana. Complicated crime case that lives in the heart of book of the history of the people of Texarkana. Could there be more mystery than we know today? Join the conversation on our Twitter page at, sim- at TrueCrimeNS. It's at TrueCrimeNS. I'm Larry Lease, and this is the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. Follow us on Twitter at TrueCrimeNS. Like us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps. Tune in next week for an all-new episode. Mary Reed. 
redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.